I'm Michael McMullen. And I'm John Mark Yates. Welcome to This Week in Church History. Welcome to This Week in Church History for the week June 21 to June 27, 2020, which brings us to one of the more interesting points of American church history. Most people have heard of Jonathan Edwards, a leading light in American religion, and according to our guest today, one of the most influential evangelicals of all time. If this is the case, you might be surprised that on June 22, 1750, the Congregational Church Edwards pastored fired him. Why was this great leader and thinker let go from his church, and what can we learn from this? To talk about this, our guest for this week is Dr. Douglas A. Sweeney, professor of divinity and dean of Beeson Divinity School. Prior to taking the helm at Beeson, Dr. Sweeney served as the distinguished professor and chair of church history and the history of Christian thought at Trinity Evangelical uh, Divinity School, where I had the privilege of studying under him. Uh, Dr. Sweeney is a highly regarded scholar on Edwards and has Edward, uh, edited and contributed to the Yale University series, The Works of Jonathan Edwards. Just a couple of years ago as well, he released the award-winning volume, Edwards the Exegete, a Biblical Interpretation and Anglo-Protestant Culture on the Edge of the Enlightenment. As the author and editor of over 20 books, we are very honored to have you on the show today, Dr. Sweeney. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me, John Mark. It's, uh, you know, as I'm here with with Mike McMullen, who's also done work on Edwards, um, some of our listeners, though, may not be as familiar with Edwards. Can you give us a rough sketch of his life and significance? Sure. Edwards was a pastor. He lived from 1703 until 1758. Uh, he was a pastor's son, raised up for pastoral ministry by his father, Timothy Edwards, uh, enrolled at Yale College at the tender age of 12, <laughs> graduated four years later as the valedictorian of his class, did a master's degree at Yale, and then pastored a series of churches, first in New York City, uh, and then later in Connecticut and Massachusetts. Toward the end of his life, he served as a missionary to Native American Indians in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, and then um, served as the third president of what back then was called the College of New Jersey, today's Princeton University, uh, where he died early uh, at the age of 54. He's probably the most influential theologian in evangelical history. There's others who might, uh, you know, vie for that title with with Edwards, but uh, Edwards is certainly among the most influential theologians ever in evangelical history and one of the leading intellectuals in American history as well. Uh, He became famous probably most of all for the role he played in helping people as a pastor, helping them biblically and theologically navigate uh, the revivals of the Great Awakening Mm -hmm. in the 1730s and 40s, which he uh, preached in extensively and wrote books about as well. Yeah, Dr. Sweeney, um, I'm interested in... um how it, how it seems to have been a while for evangelicals to have become interested in Edwards. Uh, the availability of his manuscripts, his sermons and letters and things, um, you know, philosophy and English and others seem to have a, a kind of earlier interest in Edwards than evangelicals. Was there a reason for this? Yeah, his reputation has sort of gone up and down throughout American history, for about a hundred years after he died, he was very influential among American evangelicals, particularly in congregational and Presbyterian churches and later among Southern Baptists and others as well. Mm -hmm. But right about the time of the U.S. Civil War, uh, he fell out of favor. Uh, 
American theology was developing in different directions uh, in the uh, mainline seminaries and some of the leading universities. Uh, the kind of teaching that was being done was informed more by things like the higher critical study of the Bible. And so even Edwards' uh, ways of interpreting scripture and preaching were falling out of favor. And then uh, in the halls of power, uh, people were becoming a little bit more liberal uh, in a lot of ways, but including theologically. So it wasn't until the middle of the 20th century uh, that lots of Christians recovered Edwards again. And I think, ironically, one big reason why is the founding of the Yale edition of the works of Jonathan Edwards in the 1950s under the influence of an atheistic Jewish scholar at Harvard named Perry Miller. (laughs) Yeah, Miller got lots of people reading Edwards again, and uh, as people read Edwards again, there were leading evangelical preachers and teachers, people like John Gerstner in the early years. And then down the road, even famous pastors like John Piper, mm-hmm. who began reading Edwards and getting shaped by him in pastoral ministry, and they helped popularize Edwards again among evangelicals. Mm. I know that uh, Edwards had this great correspondence with ministers in Scotland, and um, I, you know, I always wonder what it might have been like if Edwards had taken up the invitation to, to go to Scotland and become a minister there. Yeah, his, uh, his, he had a number of pen pals in mm-hmm. uh, Britain, probably the one in Scotland who he wrote with the most was a man named John Erskine. And uh, when he was fired by his congregation in Massachusetts in 1750, he had friends in Scotland uh, who floated the idea that he mm-hmm. might move there and become a Presbyterian pastor. And they asked if he could subscribe to the Westminster Standards and so on. And I don't think it was something that Edward was likely to have done. He had a big family, you know, in the colonies and was pretty deeply uh, entrenched here. But he did respond that he could subscribe uh, to the Westminster Standards and in many ways preferred them to some of the confessional materials Mm -hmm. used in the congregational churches and maintained friendships to the very end of his life with Scottish friends. That's amazing. One of the things as we uh, think through Edwards and and the, the manner in which he was involved in the Great Awakening and uh, telling the story even and, and casting that uh, in, a, in a broader way for both British and American context. Uh, as he's going through this, what on earth would lead up to a church dismissing their pastor, uh, especially someone as prominent as Edwards was even in his own day? Well, um, Edwards was a very principled man. and. Uh, his people skills were maybe not as strong as they might have been. <laughs> and he began his pastoral ministry in the in the long shadow of his maternal grandfather, a man named Solomon Stoddard, who pastored his church in Northampton before Edwards took it over upon his grandfather's death in 1729. And Edwards' grandfather had a policy with regard to the Lord's Supper and baptism and, and full church membership that allowed even people who couldn't give testimony to uh, a special work of God's saving grace in their lives uh, to join the church and take the Lord's Supper uh, and have their children baptized. And when Edwards assumed control of the church in the late 1720s, uh, he kept his grandfather's policy in place. He would write in private notebooks about some scruples he had with it and nervousness about it. And then after the uh, decline of the revivals in New England during the period of the Great Awakening, 
after about 1742 and then through the rest of the 1740s, uh, Edwards gradually mustered the courage of his convictions and decided he wanted to change the church's policy. Uh, you know, of course, his grandfather had said, uh, anybody who affirms the truth claims of the Christian faith and lives a, a decent moral life uh, has access to the Lord's Supper and to baptism for their children. These were Pado baptist congregations. Uh, Edwards decided that he wanted to make sure that people could give some kind of reliable testimony about the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, the work of God's saving grace in their lives before he would give them access to the Lord's Supper, which was a presenting issue. But of course, Edwards didn't want to let people have their children baptized who couldn't give that testimony either. Right. Mm -hmm. And it just led to a big fight uh, in town and regional ministers were brought in to help adjudicate it. And uh, Edwards stood fast on his principles and was fired for them. This is always uh, one of those, those questions, even in pastoral ministry, when we think through uh, some of the decisions and choices that uh, some of our, our listeners who are pastors make on a regular basis that they think are in keeping with uh, Scripture, or confident they're in keeping with Scripture, and yet their congregations fight them over these issues. Yeah, these are tough things. As I've taught Edwards over the years, I have, um, I've asked the question of seminary students. Uh, and I think this question works well for young, sensitive seminary students. Uh, I, I asked them, are there are there biblical principles for which you'd be willing mm. to lose your job? Wow. Uh, and I think that's an important question for us mm -hmm. to ask ourselves today. Of course, some of us are very self-confident and kind of tough, and uh, we don't need probably more encouragement uh, to stand fast on principle <laughs> no matter what happens. But, <laughs> but the more timid, the more sensitive among us probably do need some encouragement to, uh, to be courageous enough and to demonstrate enough spiritual fortitude so that we'd be willing to lose our livelihoods if mm. necessary uh, for the sake of biblical principle. Mm. That's a good word and a, and a great reminder uh, for us. Now, one of the things I've always found fascinating is, is Edwards is relieved of his position on June 22nd, but he has the ability to come back on July 1 in 1750 and preach a farewell sermon. Um, when you read that sermon, it is, um, I, I don't know, maybe a, a Jeremiah of sorts. It's a, um, it, it is a, a fiery sermon where he sets himself up uh, and uh, almost in contrast with the congregation uh, and, and pretty much establishes that from his perspective that they were in the wrong. How, how does he get this privilege to come back and, uh, and even preach this uh, farewell sermon? Uh, to his congregation? Well, he'd been serving them by then for many, many years, from about 1726, the latter months of 1726, all the way through June of 1750. And um, compared to the way things are today in evangelical churches, you know, in 1750, things were organized in a more hierarchical way. Uh, the office of the pastor came with a lot of built-in clout and cultural authority. So there was really no question but that Edwards would be allowed to give a, a parting sermon to his congregation. In fact, they had a really hard time filling their pulpit after they kicked him out. And to his <laughs> credit, uh, Edwards condescended to come back and preach supply for them about a mm -hmm. dozen more times, uh, even after this farewell sermon mm -hmm. in 1750. 
Another thing I just want to put on people's minds, just in case they go and read this sermon and they think, wow, this is pretty striking. You know, he came on pretty strong. Edwards was pretty consistent all the way throughout his preaching ministry in preaching. I don't want to use language that's too technical, but I I sometimes think of this as eschatologically charged sermons. He's Mm -hmm. always trying to get people to develop an eschatological perspective on daily life. he preached a whole bunch of uh, ordination sermons, for example, for young pastors who'd come up under his influence. And almost invariably, he's asking these young guys, and the churches that are bringing them on, to think about how we're all going to meet together again before mm-hmm. the Lord, and we're responsible eternally, eschatologically, for our faithfulness uh, in ministry. So since that was a consistent theme in his theology and in his preaching and his work with congregations. He, you know, he's a biblical supernaturalist who believes in accountability and believes in Judgment Day. Maybe it, it shouldn't be so shocking that he brings this up again yeah. uh, in his farewell mm-hmm. sermon. It, yeah, especially as he closes that out, it just he 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 really ratchets into that uh, that that concept of uh, how his ministry has tried to prove. Uh, protect them, preserve them from uh, everlasting destruction. About how, um, you know, the, his pretty much his closing line is is you know I we will see each other one day on the great day when you'll appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's a uh, it's a powerful yeah. reminder that he's giving them uh, about the that that eschatological reality. Yeah, and so the part of it that even I would admit maybe you can't get too straight from Scripture with solid exegesis, is the part where he says, ministers and their people will meet again together before the Lord on Judgment Day and sort of testify about each other's faithfulness Mm -hmm. uh, here on earth. He he says maybe a little bit more there than the Scriptures warrant. Mm. Uh, But... But the sermon is also full of love for his people, right? I mean, he's saying, oh, I've worked so hard to give you the gospel week in and week out. Right. I've mm. prayed for your souls for all these many years. So please, uh, I'm very concerned about you even as I'm leaving. Please mm. remember the gospel. Please remember the gospel ministry that I've given to you. And don't let this be an occasion for the evil one to come in and do spiritual harm to you. Mm. We, we have uh, several doctoral students here who are uh, pursuing work on Edwards. And uh, it, it may not be a fair question to ask, but as one who um, has studied and taught on Edwards for many years, um, you know, with the availability of, of the manuscripts at Yale and online, I wondered if you, um, because students will be listening, I wondered if you had any idea of areas on Edwards that still require further kind of examination um, that might be an encouragement to students to think about? Yes, I would, I would want to uh, emphasize two things without excluding others. I mean, people, students these days, they get worried. Mm-hmm. There's so many books and articles on Edwards. Maybe there's no more room for something right. more. Right. But so many, of, so many of us find Edwards to be, this is going to sound like a, a church history geek talking, and I guess it is, but <laughs> so many of us find Edwards to be just such an edifying guy yeah. to spend time with, yeah. you know, to read, and it's almost like you get to rub shoulders with him, and mm-hmm. he influences you for the gospel, and you love it, and you're growing in your faith. That uh, it's a good idea, I think, to encourage students. Don't be intimidated by all that scholarship. Mm. 
Um, so there's lots of areas for uh, further work, but the two uh, that I would want to highlight would be, first of all, we, we really do, and it's going to sound like special pleading because I've been working in this area, but it's true. We need more work on Edwards and the Bible. Mm. Uh, the pioneers of the modern critical study of Edwards were not uh, very uh, biblically minded people. Yeah. Uh, Edwards became famous among uh, secular scholars yeah. before evangelicals started working carefully in a scholarly way. Uh, on his work. Mm. And what that has meant is the most famous aspects of Edward's reputation uh, have very little to do with the main event of his life as a pastor week in and week out, mm -hmm. which was wrestling with the Word of God in preparation to open it up for people on, uh, well, Sundays and midweek. Mm -hmm. Edward's preached three really long sermons uh, every week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're serious and they're meaty. Uh, he spent a lot of time, more time preparing sermons, reading, praying over, mm -hmm. interpreting and applying the Bible than he spent doing anything else. Yeah. And there's hardly, I mean, there's a growing little body of literature on his interpretation of the Bible, but there's a lot more work to be mm -hmm. done in that area. And then the other, just real quickly, the other area I put on people's minds is uh, the 1750s. He died, I, I said at the top of the show, in 1758. From 1751 to the end of 1757, he's a a preacher and minister to Native American Indians in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. There's lots of things he did, uh, sermons that he preached, uh, big theological books that he wrote in mm. that period of time. And that's the least studied period of time in his ministry. So there's more work to do there on Edwards as a missionary, Edwards as an educator, mm. and even just the, the social, everyday history lying behind his his big famous theology books that he right. published in the 1750s. Yeah. That's a good word. There's so much always to be to be done there. Now that you're referencing his Stockbridge years, uh, outline for us, there, there's so much that he does still accomplish. A, a, a firing from a ministry position uh, devastates so many when that that happens or if that happens in their in their ministry life and and many feel as if uh, you know there there is nowhere to go after something like that. Yet Edwards uh, almost pivots quickly into uh, even an expanded ministerial role. Oh, yeah. So he's got two different congregations in Stockbridge. He has a white congregation that's mostly English and Welsh families. And then he has a, a Native American congregation to whom he's preaching through an interpreter uh, uh, week in and week out as well. Uh, there's a mission school. There's a boarding house. He's involved in colonial politics related to control of those institutions and the funding of those institutions. He has younger pastors coming to live with him, and he's mentoring them uh, in this period of time. There's a there's a lot going on. And then, I don't know if you want to talk about the books he wrote then, but maybe I could just tick them off quickly. And if any if you have any more things you want to uh, discuss related to them, you can follow up. But even in that period of time, 1752, he publishes a big book about the communion controversy because he's still <laughs> defending himself uh, after the firing. 1754, he writes one of the most famous books ever written in theological studies, his book on the freedom of the will. Uh, at the very end of his life, he, he writes a big book on original sin that's published in 1758 right after he dies. And he leaves two big books unpublished we call them his two dissertations. One is his dissertation concerning the end for which God created the world, 
That's the one John Piper has made very famous in recent decades. Mm-hmm. And the other one is his dissertation concerning the nature of true virtue. These are all massive uh, mm-hmm. achievements in American theological life. And all of those things were written uh, and finalized in the 1750s. It's amazing. And it just, uh, you know, even a demonstration of God's grace that uh, even after something that, that would seemingly be, uh, you know, such so life-altering that he is able, God is able to use him, that he is able to pick up uh, the pieces and then still make this massive contribution. When we... Think, mm-hmm. When we think about Edwards, I mean, he is a catalytic figure, uh, especially in that early American uh, context. Uh, that what if question that we like to ask our guests: what What if uh, someone hadn't lived? From your perspective, if if we were to play with this with uh, earlier early American history, what if there had been no Edwards? What if Edwards hadn't existed? Um, what would have been the fallout of that? Well, there's so many things. Uh, that would not have happened as well. Uh, I think probably Edwards is most helpful. His historical significance uh, is mostly to do with the role he played in helping people navigate the revival, right. make sense of the signs and wonders and unusual things that were going on uh, during the revival of the Great Awakening. Uh, I would argue, I argue this to my students every time I teach Edwards, uh, in my opinion, He's the single most helpful and important figure in the entire history of Christianity when Mm. it comes to helping people navigate the unusual things that happen during revivals and think about them biblically and apply biblical principles to what's going on in their own spiritual lives, in their own churches uh, and communities. Mm. So without Edwards, we would have gone without all of that help that he provided. Mm. He also was the founder of uh, what we usually say is the first indigenous school of theology in America. Most American theology in the colonial period is derived from things that were going on already in Europe. Uh, Edwards' repackaging of Reformed theology in the midst of the revivals uh, led to some novel developments in Reformed evangelical theology that did become controversial, and I'm not trying to make a statement about how uh, people should come down on them. But that school of theology was the, the single most influential school of theology for almost 100 years uh, after he died. And then, you know, he's influential in American life and letters. He's somebody who today is so widely read, at least by evangelical seminary students and pastors, just for spiritual edification as a model of Christian life uh, and ministry. We would have gone without all those sorts of things. And I hasten to add, uh, you know, maybe Michael will want to say more about this than me even, but um, Edwards was also quite influential in the UK. Mm. There were a lot of uh, Reformed Baptists especially, but others as well in the Church of England uh, who loved Edwards' theology and developed it in their own context. Edwards was also uh, a theologian who by his writing and his personal example as a missionary and his biography of a, a short-lived missionary named David Brainerd right. um, became very influential in the rise of the modern missions movement, yeah. at least in the English-speaking world as well. So uh, he's really an important figure on, on a number of different fronts. And so if you kind of pull him out of history, you wonder, you know, how much progress would have been made in all those areas. It's amazing the uh, the story that can be written of a faithful ministry uh, and a faithful pastor uh, just serving his people and loving them with the gifts that God has given him. 
Uh, for our listeners, uh, how could their personal understanding of Edwards help them be more encouraged about uh, living life for the church and what their church is, is doing? Uh, I would encourage our listeners here to bear in mind that Edwards is one of the most important theologians in all of church history, and he was first and foremost a pastor. He was a churchman. Uh, he did teach a little while at Yale College as a young man, and he did serve very briefly at the end of his life as the president of Princeton. But the vast majority of his time and the bulk of his life was spent in pastoral ministry. Mm. So Edwards can be a, an inspiring example to pastors who feel a strong sense of responsibility to work in discipleship ministry, to help people come to know God more deeply. Mm. Uh, to help people become more faithful and ardent students of the Bible, for people who want to grow. They they know they love God, they know God a little bit, but they know God is so vast. And even if God's Word uh, is so vast, there's so much more growth to to be achieved. Edwards was the kind of pastor who was all about helping people grow in the Lord by getting to know Him and by getting to know the Bible. That's fantastic. If you were to have uh, readers start, maybe they've never read Edwards himself, Where what what would be the, the volume that you would tell them to start reading Edwards? Well, it depends on the person. I get asked this a lot, and so I have <laughs> multiple answers. I don't mean to sound like a complicated professor here, but I, I do mean to say, I think I'd suggest a couple of different people depending on the kind of person who's listening. I like to, I like to give people Edwards sermons. They're a little bit different from the kinds of sermons we hear today, but they're super edifying. They're mm. super biblical. Um, they're easy to get a hold of. You can read them for free on the web. You can get cheap paperback uh, books that include a number of Edwards sermons in them. That's a great place to start. But if you're uh, a little bit more ambitious and you don't mind reading a long, hard theology book, uh, I would recommend Edwards' treatise concerning the religious affections. Mm which we sometimes just call Religious Affections, which was published in 1746, which will help you grow spiritually like nothing you've ever read before, but will require some work. It's long. There's 18th century (laughs) English in it. But if you're willing to tolerate that, it's really worth your time. That's fantastic. Well, thank you very much for spending time with us today and helping us think through Edwards, uh, through a major event in his life, his, his firing on June 22nd, but then even how God continued to use him and his ministry even after that uh, that, that event. For our listeners, you, uh, as we encourage you all the time, can find so many of these resources available at the Sword and Trial Bookstore here on the campus of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and also at the Sword and Trial online. We encourage you to go and look and and maybe purchase some of these uh, books to help you. I would strongly commend to you any of Dr. Sweeney's volumes, as well as a great encouragement to you and to your faith uh, as you come to understand uh, men and women who've journeyed before us in uh, in the faith, and you will be blessed in that way. Uh, So thank you, Dr. Sweeney, for joining us. Thank you, listener, for listening in, and we will see you next week.